Welcome to Poems for Company. I'm your host, Brian Dillon. Now that Valentine's Day is well behind us, let's consider poems about unrequited love. The term unrequited has circulated for over 500 years. Originally, it referred to money when someone has not paid you back what you think you're owed, a non-reciprocal transaction. But though the word unrequited may be only 500 years old, the feeling of frustration a person experiences when strong desires are not returned goes back to the ancient world, as a couple of today's poems demonstrate. Over time, a number of my shows will focus on this theme. There's enough material about unrequited love for many months' worth of consideration. One British male philosopher complained that he can't get no satisfaction. The male poets we will hear today seem to agree, though they tend to be more articulate and complex in their reflections. Their poems express a range of moods, from anger to bewilderment. Women voice similar moods, but are they perhaps more resigned to their circumstances than male poets tend to be? Are there gender differences in how these poets respond to the circumstance of unrequited love? We'll sample a few poems and try to find out. Born in the 7th century before the Common Era, Sappho is the only ancient Greek female whose poetry has survived. She lived on the Greek island of Lesbos. We derive the term lesbian from her poems. In Sappho's poem number 94, both lovers respond to their breakup. It's a dialogue poem, highly unusual, in that both individuals who enjoyed a relationship speak. The woman Sappho's speaker wants to continue a relationship with speaks first in this poem. And this other woman asserts she's forced to end their relationship against her will. Presumably, a third person never referred to in the poem demands this relationship end. We may speculate that the woman who speaks first has been pressed into an arranged marriage. After this woman speaks, then a figure named Sappho responds and recalls the intimacy they shared. So, it's a poem of double unrequited love. This is Sappho's poem number 94. Honestly, I just want to die, she sighed, shedding heartfelt tears, inconsolably sad to be leaving me. How deeply we have loved, we too, Sappho. Oh, I really don't want to go. I answered her tenderly. Go as you must and be happy, remembering me, for you know how much I loved you. And if you begin to forget, please try to recall all the heavenly emotions we felt, as with many wreaths of violets, roses and crocuses, you sat beside me, adorning your delicate neck. Once, garlands have been fashioned 
of many woven flowers. With much expensive myrrh we anointed our bodies like royalty on soft couches. Then my tender caresses fulfilled your desire. That's Sappho's poem number 94. In addition to being a two-sided view of unrequited love, it's a rare Sappho poem in that the details of physical intimacy are noted, however briefly. She says, With much expensive myrrh we anointed our bodies like royalty on soft couches. Then my tender caresses fulfilled your desire. Textual difficulties exist in efforts to bring Sappho's poems to a 21st century audience. Sappho's writings were passed down to us mainly in fragments. The translator for the poem I just read, Michael R. Birch, acknowledges poem number 94 has several gaps and that he attempted to fill them in to imagine what Sappho might have been saying. That is, the translator created a more coherent version of the fragments, but an admirable roughness remains in the poems. Most poems of unrequited love are monologues. The rejected individual speaks the poem, or at least the rejected individual is the focus. So Sappho's dialogue poem is an exception to this standard format. What does the rejecter think? Typically, we're not told. Typically, we're left to imagine the rejecter's point of view. We'll move from Sappho's ancient Greece to the ancient Rome of Catullus. The Catullus poem I'll read is a monologue. We don't hear what the woman has to say in Catullus's poem of unrequited love. And that one-sidedness is the conventional format for unrequited love poems. The ancient Roman Catullus was about 30 years old when he died. We know of him because he lived passionately and wrote a series of poems about his affair with a married woman. Theirs was a turbulent relationship, to put it mildly, occasionally satisfying, more often unstable, likely to change from day to day. Translators seem to compete with one another to capture the humor and vulgarity in some of his poems. In poem number 11 by Catullus, apparently crushed at being rejected by this married woman, he urges her to enjoy the company of her other, quotes, adulterous lovers, three hundred men between your thighs, end quotes. Poem number eight, which I will read, also deals with his being rejected and presents the poet's internal conflict as he urges himself to accept his loss, to quit whining. This is poem number eight, a kind of pep talk Catullus delivers to himself. Unhappy Catullus, cease your trifling and what you see lost, know to be lost. Once 
Bright days used to shine on you when you used to go wherever your girl led you. Loved by us as never a girl will ever be loved. There those many joys occurred which you did wish, nor was the girl unwilling. In truth, bright days used once to shine on you. Now she no longer wants you. You too, powerless to avail, must not want her. Do not pursue her retreating. Do not live unhappy, but with firm-set mind endure. Harden yourself. Farewell, girl. Now Catullus hardens himself. He will not seek you, will not ask, since you are unwilling. But you will be pained when you are not asked. Faithless, go your way. What manner of life remains to you? Who now will visit you? Who find you beautiful? Whom will you love now? Whose will you be called? Whom will you kiss? Whose lips will you bite? But you, Catullus, remain firm in your hardness. That's Catullus's poem number eight. Quit being so pathetic, he tells himself. Three times he demands that he harden himself against her rejection of him, as though he might steal his emotions against his loss. And yet he doesn't just offer himself advice. He turns on the woman in anger. Faithless, go your way. What manner of life remains to you? Who now will visit you? Who find you beautiful? Whom will you love now? Whose will you be called? Whom will you kiss? Whose lips will you bite? Rather than acknowledge she could go back to her husband or easily find another lover, Catullus implies he was this married woman's last best hope for a lover. A pep talk with some snarky vindictiveness. Catullus lived roughly 2100 years ago and Sappho roughly 2700 years ago. Their feelings prompted by unrequited love, though, should sound very familiar to us. In contrast to the anger of Catullus, we encounter a generous attitude in a sonnet by Edna St. Vincent Millay, Sonnet 47, typically titled, Well, I have lost you, and I lost you fairly. I'll read the poem first, offer some brief commentary, then read it again. Edna St. Vincent Millay's Sonnet Number 47 Well, I have lost you, and I lost you fairly, in my own way and with my full consent. Say what you will, kings in a tumbrel rarely went to their deaths more proud than this one went. Some nights of apprehension and hot weeping I will confess, but that's permitted me. Day dried my eyes. I was not one for keeping rubbed in a cage a wing that would be free. If I had loved you less or played you slyly, I might have held you for a summer more, but at the cost of words I value highly and no such summer as the one before. Should I outlive this anguish, and men do, 
I shall have only good to say of you. That's Edna St. Vincent Millay's Sonnet Number 47. The only word likely to give us pause in this poem is tumbril, a farm cart used to carry a person to a place of execution, a figure of royalty, or any political prisoner who knows herself to be innocent of the charges might ride to her death with a bearing of pride. The speaker of Malay's sonnet claims she has nothing to be shamed about for losing the man she loves, a man with whom she shared a summer of intense passion. She says, If I had loved you less or played you slyly, I might have held you for a summer more. But she did not hold back her love or play hard to get. Nor will she harm his reputation in their future spent apart from one another. While married, Malay herself conducted an extended affair with a male poet fourteen years younger than her. Her biographer says their breakup prompted this poem. But of course, it would be foolish to limit our response to what it might say about the poet herself. Are there emotions expressed here that may apply to your experience of unrequited love? Not anger, as in Catullus, but a movement toward acceptance, knowing you behaved as well as possible. Again, St. Vincent Millay's Sonnet Number 47. Well, I have lost you, and I lost you fairly, in my own way and with my full consent. Say what you will, kings in a tumbrel rarely went to their deaths more proud than this one went. Some nights of apprehension and hot weeping, I will confess, but that's permitted me. Day dry my eyes. I was not one for keeping, rubbed in a cage, a wing that would be free. If I had loved you less or played you slyly, I might have held you for a summer more. But at the cost of words, I value highly, and no such summer as the one before. Should I outlive this anguish, and men do, I shall have only good to say of you. Edna St. Vincent Millay's Sonnet Number 47 Millay, an American, published her sonnet in 1931 when she was nearly 40. The Irishman W. B. Yeats wrote his poem When You Are Old when he was in his 20s back in the 1890s. Old age, both for him and the object of his desire, lies far off in the distance. When you are old, not now that you are old. The poem serves as a warning to the woman in the present, and also a judgment upon her. It's a short poem, comprising one sentence spilling out over twelve lines. This is W.B. Yeats' poem, When You Are Old. When you are old and gray and full of sleep 
and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true. But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. W.B. Yeats, When You Are Old. There's some wonderful meta-commentary here. Yeats' speaker presumes the poem he's writing will be available in book form years to come, and the woman he desires will, when she's much older, own a copy and read it. Perhaps only then, belatedly, she will regret what she lost by not returning his love so many decades earlier. Perhaps the speaker even imagines she has remained on her own. We might hear some echoes of Catullus and Yeats' poem. The woman will be sorry for not returning the speaker's love. He would have been her best choice. Curiously, None of these male speakers in unrequited love poems presume the man might be flawed or even undeserving of the woman's love. But to give the male speaker in Yeats' poems some credit, he praises her pilgrim soul, suggesting her adventurous spirit. And he presumes his love would stay strong as they aged. He would always love the sorrows of your changing face. Let's hear the poem once more. When you are old and gray and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true, but one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. W.B. Yeats when you are old. In his autobiography, Yeats wrote about a seven-year period of celibacy he endured around the same time he wrote this poem. He said, I was tortured by sexual desire and disappointed love. Often, as I walked into the woods, it would have been a relief to scream aloud. We'll close today's show with a poem from Sharon Old's Pulitzer Prize-winning volume, Stag's Leap. This book, published in 2012, 
tracks a woman's response to a divorce she had not wanted and not even seen coming. Another woman entered the speaker's husband's life, and the speaker got pushed to the sidelines. Stag's Leap. This book title refers to a brand of wine. Perhaps you've seen it on shelves. It also suggests an inclination of some men to abruptly end one relationship and leap into another. In her volume's title poem, Olds writes, Then the creature on the label of our favorite red looks like my husband, casting himself off a cliff in his fervor to get free of me. Old's poem stands out on today's episode. Catullus, Sappho, and Malay respond to a relationship of relatively short duration. Yeats responds to a relationship that never really began. Old's refers to a 30-year commitment that collapsed on her speaker. This is Sharon Old's poem, Unspeakable. Now I come to look at love in a new way, now that I know I'm not standing in its light. I want to ask my almost no longer husband what it's like to not love, but he does not want to talk about it. He wants a stillness at the end of it. And sometimes I feel as if Already, I'm not here to stand in his thirty-year sight and not in love's sight. I feel an invisibility, like a neutron in a cloud chamber buried in a mile-long accelerator where what cannot be seen is inferred by what the visible does. After the alarm goes off, I stroke him, my hand feels like a singer who sings along him, as if it is his flesh that's singing in its full range, tenor of the higher vertebrae, baritone, bass, contrabass. I want to say to him now, what was it like to love me? When you looked at me, what did you see? When he loved me, I looked out at the world as if from inside a profound dwelling, like a burrow or a well. I gaze up at noon and see Orion shining. When I thought he loved me, when I thought we were joined not just for breath's time, but for the long continuance, the hard candies of femur and stone, the fastnesses, he shows no anger. I show no anger, but in flashes of humor, all is courtesy and horror. And after the first minute, when I say, is this about her? And he says, no, it's about you. We do not speak of her. That's Sharon Old's poem, Unspeakable from her volume, Stag's Leap. The speaker's sense of herself, her identity maintained for 30 years, 
has ended. Now she says, I feel an invisibility. Well, that seems clear and straightforward. But she continues with the simile, a curious comparison derived from nuclear physics. She says, I feel an invisibility like a neutron in a cloud chamber buried in a mile-long accelerator where what cannot be seen is inferred by what the visible does. A cloud chamber is a particle detector, a sealed environment. This extended comparison suggests the speaker's pain and confusion lie hidden from the sight of others, though they may suspect what she's undergoing. The poem also says, when she presumed for decades that their love was mutual, she, quotes, looked out at the world as if from inside a profound dwelling. That too seems clear. But she continues this thought with another curious simile, a profound dwelling like a burrow or a well. It's almost as though she imagined herself a safe, secure animal while living in the wild. I don't hear anger in this poem unspeakable. The speaker could be frustrated with her all-too-silent husband of thirty years. She would like to question him, what was it like when you loved me, and now what's it like to fall out of love with me? The poem says, but he does not want to talk about it. He wants a stillness at the end of it. And they don't speak of the other woman. Do you find it unsettling that this long married couple continues to share a bed, even as they both know the end of their marriage is upon them? After the alarm goes off, I stroke him, she says. My hand feels like a singer who sings along him, as if it is his flesh that's singing. And a jarring line comes right near the poem's close. All is courtesy and horror. That's a fitting final thought for an episode about unrequited love. All is courtesy and horror as Sharon Old says in Unspeakable from her volume Stag's Leap. This is Poems for Company. You may listen to other episodes of this show whenever you'd like. Go to kmun.org, click on the podcast tab, and then click on Poems for Company. There you will also find a credit list of all poems read on the show. Our theme music is Philip Auberg's Going to the Sun from his CD Live from Montana, available at sweetgrassmusic.com. Thank you for listening today to Poems for Company. <laughs>